edition of Passing the Baton 07. Part 1 is entitled Echoes from Eden. I actually wanted, uh, the Lord showed me this and I, I want to ask you to do something. Will you put your hands together like children? Uh, and will you bring your thumbs out, out of the way, sort of round there? Now, will you move your fingers down? What shape have you got? Okay. Will you open it? Just open your heart as I pray now. Thank you, Father. Father, touch our hearts for Jesus' sake. Lord, let him see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. Father, we're holding our empty hearts open. Fill them, Father, with a fresh revelation of yourself and your eternal plan for mankind. That we may be evermore praising you and saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. We want your heartbeat, Lord. We've had enough of words. Let us hear your voice calling to our wayworn hearts, Adam, where are you? If we can really get this, Father, we won't need counselling and ministry. The counsellor himself will come and do all that needs doing. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and do that which you do best. Show us the Father and the Son in Jesus' name. And I'm going to ask that even as the words go forth this morning, that there will be an anointing to heal. Because where the presence of God is, there is healing. He can't resist it. So you've opened your hearts. You're going to let him come in and do this business with you. Thank you. Thank you. You may have realized that I wrote a prayer out before I came. This brilliant extempore prayer, I, I, I do it all the time. Um, I call it chatting to the Lord, just talking to him. Um, but there are times when it actually pays to write down what you get before the Lord. And I, I got it before the Lord, that prayer. June, am I blowing into the microphone at all, dear? Is, it, is this okay? Is it, nobody feel... Way down there. That way? Good. Thank you. Right. Um, you, as we progress, I would suggest that you would like, if you're going to plan to come to this, you'll need a ring binder for the handouts that I'm going to give you, a notebook for any notes that you want to make, um, and if you're really going to get serious with God, you'll need to start journaling because he will talk to you in your own quiet time, as we're pleased to call it. Um, I haven't really... I cannot give you an outline properly for what God wants to do. I can tell you what he's given me for this week, for this session now. And what I'm going to endeavor to do is to link Genesis to Revelation. Boom, boom. Uh, because it, I think we're in a time where the Spirit and the Word are coming together. And unless we have the word in us, it, w it will not do its stuff. It won't, it won't work. We can't any longer go on just looking at the New Testament. We need to take the whole counsel of God. So um, I thought to my little self, uh, something that um, I've read somewhere in a book, 
I may kill a few sacred cows this morning and make beef burgers of them, and you might like the smell. Because on the way, I may blast some of your ideas about the Bible. I might blast out of the water some of the, the things that you thought were actually the case. I'm not saying you need to believe what I'm saying. I'm saying you need to go away and have a look. Um, if this goes the way that I'm hoping it will, or thinking it might, um, when we've done the sessions today, however long they take, um, I will probably touch on things like, and it won't be today, can you lose your salvation? An awful lot of people are in fear that they can, you know. So they walk in fear, in case. Uh, will the church go through the tribulation? Anybody know about the tribulation? What's the next thing on God's calendar? Is it the rapture, the catching away of the church, or is it the second advent? I know that the Anglican church thinks it's the second advent, so we've got plenty of time and it doesn't matter. But in actual fact, it's not quite like that. It's, it's, it's much more wonderful than that. And it revolves around the Jewish wedding ceremony, which we'll have a look at if you want to. Sitting where I sit, I see a lot of Dossi doctrine passed by my nose. Uh, there's one, there's replacement theology, that the church is now Israel. And God's finished with Israel, so that's the end of that one. Not so. Uh, what happens when a person dies? Do, do you know of a certainty what will happen the moment you die? We might carry, cover that one. What spiritual warfare? Uh, the great white throne and judgment of believers works. Will we stand before the great white throne? I know many, many believers think they will. I've got a, something for you. They won't. You've been judged in Christ on the cross. There is no judgment or condemnation for you. So if you're walking thinking you're going to stand before the great white throne, you aren't. But we need to unpick it and, and see why not. Giants in the Bible, there's an interesting one. Have a little look at those. Capital punishment, should we? War, should we? Uh, very, very interesting stuff. Tithe or not to tithe, there's a question. Uh, Christophanes, appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament. Did he? Blood and covenants. And another little sweet thing that's around at the moment is, a rem is the remnant idea. You know, it's first and second class Christians. If you've made it, you'll go up in the rapture. If you haven't, you need another three and a half years to burn some of your dross off and you get done in the second half. I mean, <laughs> just to go. I mean, I see it all. I tell you, it's amazing. Let me tell you, Jesus sees us as one soul. The whole church is one soul because we're his bride and we're not in bits and pieces. That was amazing to me when, I, when, I, when he really showed me that. Um, did I touch on angels? Oh, we would have a look at that, wouldn't we? And the person and role of the Holy Spirit. So it could be that what God's going to do is to give some teaching, because we get the word in, and then we get some guidelines on healing and deliverance and all the other stuff that we, that we walk in in the New Testament, in, the, in what Jesus has won for us on the cross. But the foundation of it is going to be getting the word into you and pushing out stuff that is, is wrong. Because if we don't understand whose we are and, and where we are, we're going to lose it. I'm absolutely delighted to say that right now, 
It's, I can barely stand here because the enemy has been giving me a pasting because of this. He hates it. He absolutely hates it. And my head is going round and round like this. But that's brilliant. Good. That's all I can say. Good. Uh, so what I want to start with, really, I'm going to call this session is, is Echoes from Eden. This whole day is called Echoes from Eden. And as I said, I'm going to link Genesis with Revelation. Um, first of all, I'd like, if you've got it there, dear, to play that tape of Dr. Samuel Lockyer, I think his name is. Those of you who went to or go to Church on the Way will have heard this one. But it's absolutely brilliant. He was asked to give thanks for a meal. And he's obviously a black man, deep south probably, by the sound of it. Uh, and this is what he said. It'll come up in a minute, hopefully. He's the king of kings, and he's the lord of lords. That's my king. Well, I wonder do you know him? <laughs> David said, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. My king uh, is, a, is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supplies. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in the solitude of himself. He's august and he's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He is the supreme problem in high criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He is the coronal necessity for spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He's, he, yes, he is. He is the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. Well, this is my king. He is a king. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. 
He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Uh, I wish I could describe him to you, but he's in this. Yeah! 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 He's indescribable. Yes, he is. He, he's indescribable. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't stir your heart, nothing will. Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, th something, I am going to make a statement here. Mankind was created for the love affair of the universe. Now, because we're going to look at doctrine doesn't mean we're not looking at heart. So you've got to hold the two in tension. Um, there's a brilliant scripture, we'll come to it later. I, it's just been going around in my mind. It's Job 38.3, the last sort of thing you'd think of, isn't it, really? Uh, I've already been asked, by the way, if I'm going to do notes. Someone who can't get here. I just started saying to her what the Lord had been saying to me over this. I could do notes. I said, sounds like I need to, because there's going to be a lot of scriptures this morning. So if you want notes, let me know afterwards, and I'll make sure there's enough copies for you at the next one. But it says, the morning stars sang together, and the sons of God shouted for joy when they saw what God had created. Just something here, you might be wondering what this is. Three cats, that's supposed to be, on a wall. Never heard of this one, have you, some of you? No? Well, the first cat's name is Fact, the next one's name is Faith, and the third one's is Feelings. Now, all the time that Faith kept his eyes on Fact, they were fine. But when he looked round at Feelings, they both fell off the wall. So we do need the facts. That's what that little thing is about, is because we need the facts. Now, what I'm going to take you through just quickly, and I've don't know how much of what I'm going to say I've actually managed to put on there. Um, is our Bibles don't actually, they tell us about God and Lord and Almighty God. They don't actually expand the names of God like the Hebrew. Uh, and the first session is God, who is he? I mean, that's a cheeky thing to start looking at, isn't it? Um... As I said, the, the reason I'm going to emphasize reading and studying is that you will actually live what you believe. You will live it. Yes, um, if you believe you, it's about hanging on here till you can get into heaven, that, that is what you'll, you'll live. 
You know, you will live a life below that which what, what God wants to give you. Uh, if you believe you're going through the great tribulation, everything you think and say will be tinged with that. If you believe Christ is triumphant and victorious, that is what you will live. If you believe it's possible to mess with the enemy's head, which I do, you'll live that. Daniel 11.32 says, Those who know their God will be strong and do exploits. I don't see any point in being here if we can't be strong and do exploits. I'm up for all what God wants to do in these days. And I think that he wants to release something powerful into his church. But he will do it through his word because he never ever actually moves aside from what he's spoken here. It will always line up with his word. So I'm very strong on the word. You'll get fed up with it. I'm strong on two things. I'm strong on the word and I'm strong on you doing the praying. <laughs> Finding out what he's saying to you. So don't come to me for a prophetic word because you won't get one. I'm feeling more and more like Graham Cook every day. <laughs> I went up to him one day. It was most awfully embarrassing. I thought I'd got this inheritance word in numbers. It was about Balaam. I, I see him, but not now. I see, you know, the almighty. And uh, I said, do you think it's an inheritance word? And he just turned and said, better ask him, aren't you? I felt, I thought, never again. Never again. And now I find I'm doing the same thing. Better ask him, aren't you? People come to me and say, I've this, 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 and this, and this, this. What do you think? Have you prayed? Uh, well, well, find it. You go, pray. And I thought, I'm doing a crow cook. Because that is one of the primary roles of a prophet is to actually cause the people to hear God for themselves. It isn't actually speaking out words. It's training the sheep to hear the voice of the Lord. And in these days it is imperative that we are able in our quiet times to hear what he's saying to us. Because if we commune with our hearts, my hat's falling off. <laughs> Am I in the right place still? Richard will come and do me an adjustment. Um, we need to hear. We need to hear. And that there's the two things. There's doctrine and it's absolutely imperative that you spend time with the Lord. Intimacy is the cry of his heart. He whispered, I was just finished working on this, uh, I think it was Thursday night, and I put my papers in the corner of my room and just sat down to sort of organise them in orderly piles. And he said, God had a dream. And I said, oh, don't start again. I'll be up all night. <laughs> but it was the way he said it. God had a dream. God had a dream, girls and boys. God had a dream. And that dream was a people for himself. Hello, people for himself. Genesis to Revelation, God had a dream. It's a love affair of the universe. He is, he's, he's preparing the bride. The Holy Spirit is like the best man or... No, he's not the best man. He's preparing the bride for the bridegroom. And one of the tracks on that new CD that we were playing when, when, I, when I was playing when you came in is let the bride see. Let the bride see the bridegroom. Let the bride see. Let the bridegroom come. He is so close you can feel his breath on your cheek. I tell you. It's so close. I'm going off already. So last year I found myself calling the Lord El Supremo and I thought maybe I was being a bit rude. But he gave me the thumbs up that, yeah, he is. 
He is the supreme one. He is the awesome God. And what I want to try to open up to you today through the names of God is who this God is that we serve. You know, so that you might know him and what's behind you when you step out to do something. If it, We've all got a God, I think, that's smaller than he actually is. And we, we, in our heart of hearts, we don't really think it's possible. And he's going to change all that. Um, let's go for it. I go a lot in um, uh, older writings. Not that old, but older writings. Um, Faber is one that I love his hymns. Um, and in the old Baptist hymnal, he says... Uh, my God, how wonderful thou art, thy majesty, how bright. How beautiful thy mercy seat in depths of burning light. How wonderful. Some of you who are Anglicans probably know the tune to this. Do you know anybody know the tune? How wonderful, how beautiful the sight of thee must be. Thine endless wisdom, boundless power and awful purity. Thy justice is the gladdest thing creation can behold. Thy tenderness, so meek it wins the guilty to be bold. Yet more than all and evermore should we thy creatures bless, most worshipful of attributes, thine awful holiness. Yet I may love thee too, O Lord, almighty as thou art, for thou hast stooped to ask of me the love of my poor heart. Heart again, you see, the heart of it is the heart of the issue. He'd uh, uh, read you something in a minute, which you, you probably all know, but I didn't know, about the tin man. Um, no earthly father loves like thee, no mother half so mild, bears and forbears as thou hast done with me, thy sinful child. O little heart of mine, shall pain or sorrow make thee moan? When all this God is all for thee, a father all thine own. Early on in my Christian walk, God used to pick up just one word for me and he'd say to me, look at all the alls. <laughs> so I'd look at all the alls, look at all the shalls, look at all the I wills. I mean, you start getting a grip of that. I have got a few copies of um, Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer here. Um, it's on the nature of God. What is the nature of God? How can we recapture a real sense of God's majesty and truly live in the spirit? It's absolutely brilliant. So as we go along, I will be recommending uh, authors like A.W. Tozer, like Oswald Chambers, like Andrew Murray, these people, St. John of the Cross, these people who walked a walk that was other than. It was different. They walked it after the spirit, but that doesn't mean they were spiritual, if you see what I mean. That is not spiritual. Being able to bring a word all the time is not spiritual. It's about how you live. It's about, you know, what happens when someone steps on your foot. Um, it's where, you're, where you are with God. And it's, it's not a criticism, it's a process. But I've got a few of those. Yours for two pounds, because that's what I prayed for them. Um, I managed to get a little job lot. And if any of you haven't got a system for going through the Bible in a year, there's a few one-year workmen's Bible plans. 
you can have those for nothing. Because um, God's like that. So, Tin Man. I was reading a book the other day, and you know uh, The Wizard of Oz? Oh, <gasps> Wizard of Oz. Should we be talking about such things? Um, <laughs> I tell you, my, my whole thinking is changing. God is just expanding my thinking. Use it, he says. You know? Be blow to the enemy having all the fun. Wizard of Oz. So, you know about the Tin Man and Dorothy and the Scarecrow and the Yellow Brick Road, don't you? Well, somewhere I read in a book that there was a piece left out of the film about the Tin Man's heart. So I went and got the Wizard of Oz, didn't I? <laughs> From the library. Um, and I, I'll edit us as I go along. And there's the scarecrows just falling into a hole. Why didn't you walk round the hole? asked the tin woodman. I didn't know enough, replied the scarecrow cheerfully. My head is stuffed with straw, you know, and that's why I'm going to Oz to ask him for some brains. Oh, I see, said the tin woodman. But after all, brains are not the best thing in the world. Have you any? required the, <laughs> the scarecrow. No, my head is quite empty, answered the woodman. But once I had brains and a heart also. So having tried them both, I would much rather have a heart. And why is that, said the scarecrow. And then he goes on to tell him the story how he kept chopping off his legs because the uh, wicked witch uh, put a, a spell on his uh, chopper. But he had this love affair. There was a munchkin girl who was so beautiful that I soon grew to, grew to love her with all my heart. She, on her part, promised to marry me as soon as I could earn enough money to build a better house for her. So I set to work harder than ever. And this is where the, the curse comes in and the chopper is, is cursed and he starts cutting off his legs and his arms and his, everything here. Um, so every time that happened, he went to the tinner and the tinsmith made things for him and he thought he'd beaten the wicked witch. Um, but it comes finally the time when his axe slipped again so that it cut right through his body, splitting him into two halves. Once more the tin smith came to my help and made me a body of tin, fastening my tin arms and legs and head to it by means of joints so that I could move around as well as ever. But alas, I now had no heart, so that I lost all my love for the munchkin girl and didn't care whether I married her or not. I suppose she's still living with the old woman waiting for me to come after her. So he feels quite proud of his body, as you know, and he, he, he oils it and keeps himself going. But he said, uh, wait, 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 wait. While I was in love, I was the happiest man on earth, but no one can love who has not a heart, and so I am resolved to ask Oz to give me one. If he does, I will go back to the munchkin maiden and marry her. Both Dorothy and the Scarecrow had been greatly interested in the story of the Tin Woodman, and now they knew why he was so anxious to get a new heart. All the same, said the Scarecrow, I shall ask for brains instead of a heart, for a fool wouldn't know what to do with a heart if he had one. I shall take the heart, returned the Tin Woodman, for brains do not make one happy, and happiness is the best thing in the world. So don't deny your feelings, girls. You know, there is also a school of thought we mustn't feel anything. It's, it, is, it is right that it isn't good to seek for feelings all the time in your walk with the Lord. When he wants to come and touch you, you'll feel him all right. <laughs> and he'll do it when he's ready. The important thing is to hold our hearts open. 
But so, for so many of us, there's a schism between the head and the heart. And that's why the tin man really spoke to me. I thought, this is what happened at the fall. Our hearts were cut off from our heads. And so when we come back into fellowship with God, unless we're very blessed, there is still this distance. And we come in with an intellectual understanding of who God is. We know he's, we're born again. We know we can speak in tongues. We know, but we, there is something missing. It's intimacy into me, see. It's all rolled around in the same thing. So if we have a quick scoot from Genesis to Revelation, we'll get to see who this great God is of ours. I've only put a few names up there. I mean, there are some good books about. There's one called The Names of God by Nathan Stone, isn't it, Joyce? Yeah, I'm oozing again. <laughs> So if you open your Bible to Genesis 1, let's see where we go from here. We'll be a lot in Genesis, probably more than anything else. We're very familiar with the story. And we were created glorious, clothed with light and wonderfully made in the image and likeness of our creator. G.K. Chesterton describes Adam and Eve as statues of God walking about in a garden. How about that? What does that conjure up? We were crowned with glory and life. Satan lied and he still does. Same old theme, he doesn't need another one because we're still by, did God really say? Anybody ever been told to do something and immediately comes in the thought, uh, did he? Did he really? Did he really say that? Immediately it's there. And why do we need so much persuasion that God is good and his intentions towards us are good? Because bad things happen to us which make us question, if he loves me so much, why is this happening? Um, the daughter of uh, one of the ladies who's here said that to me one day. If he loves me so much, why, why is this happening? Um, it's all part of it, isn't it? We live in a fallen world. So first of all, I'm going to look at God, who is he? Uh, and you may, forgive me, because you may say, well, I know all this. So forgive me, because I don't know how much you know or where you are or what your understanding is. What I'm going to look at first is God himself, hopefully. And then I'm going to look at what happened before creation. Um, and then finally, hopefully, we'll have a look at creation and how it links with Revelation. So we'll just go like that. And the plan is too, to do an overview of the Bible at some stage from front to back, giving you the whole story so you can see where God is headed. Keep in mind that he's headed for the wedding of the universe. So from Genesis to Revelation, we see a progressive revelation of the personhood of God an unveiling and disclosure of who he is. He doesn't hide himself. And as I said, the trouble is with, with our um, Bibles, because we speak English and not Hebrew, uh, we don't see the difference, the nuances in the words. That we, has, we have God, we have uh, Lord God, we have Almighty God. We could probably think of a few more. So he doesn't hide himself. 
he reveals himself culminating in the revelation of Jesus Christ given to him, the scripture says, to show his servants what must shortly take place. That's Revelation 1.1. So you needn't flip over there or you'll be backwards and forwards. Please never call this book Revelations because it isn't. It's the revelation of the personhood of the risen, glorified, resurrected Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is coming back. So it's the revelation of a person. And it is up. I know many Christians are frightened of the book of Revelation. And it says, blessed are you if you read it. So who do you think is trying to keep you out of that? Yes, it is a complicated book, but it isn't allegory. And it isn't, oh, you've got to push it and shove it to get it in there. If the Lord will, we'll have a quick... I'll give you some guidelines on how to, how to go through Revelation and it just opens up. But you can't read it without Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. You've got to run it, run it in, in line with the prophets because they were speaking that which they knew not. They were speaking into what was going to happen. Daniel particularly. Uh, so if you're into Greek, two languages we're dealing with here, Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New um, so if you want the Greek for the revelation of Jesus Christ, it is Apocalypsis Iesu Christu. If you want it spelt, I will spell it for you. <laughs> Anybody want it spelt? No hands up. I'll put it in the notes. Um, I'm not going to do too much, but if you are interested in the Hebrew word for Genesis, it is Bereshit, B-E-R-E-S-H-I-T, and it means in the beginning which you would expect, that's far, so far so good. But the way that the Hebrew word is placed together and the placing of the vowels, because they don't have, um, uh, they don't have cons vowels, they have consonants, implies that something was there before the beginning. And the third word, fourth word, tells us it was God. But from the Hebrew mindset, reading in the beginning, they know there was someone out there before we knew a beginning. So that's interesting. Hold that thought in your mind that we're going to look back beyond creation because God is eternal. Didn't start there. So there was someone or something. Uh, John 17.3 Flipping right forward to the New Testament, you see, there is n there is, it is a continuum. Yes, there was a 400-year silent period between the last book in the Old Testament and the first in the New, and that was because, dare I say, Israel had pipped God off so much, he didn't talk to him for 400 years until he sent the Messiah. That's probably not the reason, but that's my colloquial understanding of it. And John 17.3 says, This is eternal life, that you might know him, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. That is the, it in a nutshell. This is eternal life. And this word know is the one predominantly used for intimacy in marriage. So he, he requires an intimate one-to-one. -one. I haven't looked at the time. Is there a clock in here? Oh, no. Relationship. Didn't want to go on too long with you. Um... We'll see a little bit later on that God created a personal man for personal fellowship. I've got some Play-Doh. 
It's a vibrant, living, breathing relationship with an awesome God who is also our tender shepherd, father and coming bridegroom. Those of you who have never had a parent there to defend you or look after you or nurture you, please, beloved, open the ears of your hearts. I take you through just a few names of the great God of ours as he reveals himself to mankind in Genesis, the first few chapters. This God is all for you. He is all for you. He gives himself 100% into his relationship with you. Everything he is, is everything you need. He created you that way, so that he could meet the need of your heart. Again, we'll see a little later what robbed us of this relationship and really how difficult it is to climb back into that place in his heart because of the internal damage that we sustained, the damage that the enemy has done uh, to God's character. If we don't know what God is really, really like, we will be unstable because we don't know how he's going to react in certain circumstances. I've had an abortion, what's God going to say? Is he going to be angry? I've had an affair. Is he going to be angry? don't know why I'm using these <laughs> examples, but that's what's coming to my mind. I'm pregnant outside of marriage. Is he going to be angry? I remember so clearly when we worked out of the, uh, the Wesley Centre here, just a little way down in uh, Commercial Road there, a young girl, he had... Um, Lovely young Christian girl, Christian dad. Um, she'd she'd um, got herself in the family way. Pregnant, Mary, I know what pregnant means. <laughs> we, got, we got the funniest CD from Jen Larkham at Christmas time. Her brother has done this thing on Christmas. And because Mary comes to uh, Joseph and says, um, he says, you put on a bit of pork, ain't you, Mary? while you've been away seeing your uncle and uh, she, I've got something to tell you I'm pregnant you're what? <laughs> I know what pregnant is Mary who is this bloke? I suppose he was all shining all over, I mean it's absolutely hysterical uh, but we, this girlie came in and she by the usual steps had got herself pregnant and we were having a, do you remember at the breakfast meeting and the, and the Simon's mum was there, wasn't she? Um, and as we came to prayer, this girlie got up to, to get, get out. And the Lord said, go and tell her not to run away. Don't run away. Mm -hmm. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> um, adjusting my dress. Don't run away. Don't run away from me. I mean, people come to me with all sorts of problems they've got themselves into. Um, don't run away. He's the only place to run to. You know, you think you've got to sort yourself out and get a bit cleaned up before you can come to him. Um, and regrettably, often in church, that is the case. We feel we've got to clean ourselves up before we can come. But we're all learning, aren't we? Um, don't run away from me. 
because he's not as we think he is. He's not as he's been portrayed to us. He's not as the enemy has shown us he is. The enemy has actually given us his character. That's what we've got. Anyway, there we are. So we'll be unstable and we won't know what to do. You do have to get the mind of the Lord, I have to say, in these situations. When someone comes to you in this, you need to know what the Lord wants to say to that person. You can't, it's not sloppy agape. So you've got to hold it all in tension. You're all the while, when you're in a ministry situation, listening for what God is saying about the person and how he wants to go forward. He's going to want to restore them to himself, but there's one or two things that he might want to say, well, we need to stop doing that, don't we? Because look where it's got us, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Moses says in Psalm 90, and I don't think I've... Have I put El Elyon up on there? No, I haven't. I thought that this morning. Um, see this look? <laughs> I'm struggling with this. That's it. It's a bit of string. It's because I haven't got it pushed far back. Could I have it on upside down, do you think? I'll try that in a minute. So Moses says in Psalm 90, 1 and 2, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. We're back to the eternality of God again. Psalm 90. O Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Interesting statement now. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth or the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He had an understanding that God stood outside of time, outside of creation. He knew it back there. And the word for God there is Elolam. E-L space O-L-A-M. The everlasting God. There's never been a time when he wasn't. So here we go again. Another name for God. And as I say, I don't think it's on there, is it? I just put the primary ones. Okay, Genesis, you're still sitting there in a state of suspended animation, waiting to find out what I'm going to say about that. In the beginning, God. English form, God. Hebrew, Elohim. El, Elah, Elohim. It is a plural. But more than that, Elohim means, hold on to your hats, the most powerful of all the powerful ones. I think that struck me more than anything else. He is the most powerful of all the powerful, powerful ones. And not only that, but again, the structure says there's plurality in the word. Ochim, the I am, cherubim, there is a plural there in the Hebrew. So the triune God is seen in this name. It's the uni-plurality, as they call it. And it's seen again in Genesis 1, 26, where he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, you know it so well, the cattle, the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. There's the, there's the plural, where the Father is, the Son is, where the Son is, the Holy Spirit is, omniscient, that's all-knowing, isn't it? Yes, omnipresent is the one I want, isn't it? Omnipresent. Uh, he's everywhere, all the time. Uh, he isn't in a tree, as some of the uh, things are. Uh-huh. I know, but he created it. Um, and this particular name for God is used in the Old Testament about 2,500 times. I make that a good score, 2,500 times. So then in Genesis 
we now see a compound, the first of the compound names of God. And we get, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God, capital L-O-R-D, made the earth and the heavens. You probably got this up on the, the board here. And this is where he reveals himself in the Hebrew word of Hava, H-A-V-A-H, from which Y-H-W-H comes Yahweh, those of you who are scholars of Hebrew and things like that. That's the word from which we get Jehovah because we put some vowels in. So you've got Chava, which actually equals in Yahweh, which is almost unpronounceable. So someone early on put some vowels in here so that we would know him as Jehovah. So now we have got another re revelation of Elohim, who we've got here. But you'll notice it's capitals in your Bible. It's all capitals here. It's not like when he's referring to Adonai down there. That's capital L. So you're beginning to see the difference. Progressive revelation of who he is. So following the creation of Adam, you find him referred to as the Lord God. And he's beginning now to reveal himself. Where Elohim points to his might and strength, this is about his being. This is about the personal name. This is the one that he revealed himself to Moses as later on. So he's saying virtually, I'm Jesus, if you like. This is my personal name. This is how you will know me. And the literal meaning of it is the self-existent one who reveals himself. Uh, and in Exodus 3.14, he says, I am the one who is to become known by a continuous and increasing self-revelation. So what we get at the end of the book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you see how it all ties up with the very first books in the Bible? It's a continuing revelation until finally he says, hey folks, this is me. And the devil keeps us out of revelation so that we can't see who Jesus is. I mean, if we get a grip of who this God of ours is, we'll be unstoppable. And I think this is why I've had such a fight over the last, since God told me to do it. It's been quite funny, hasn't it, really? Staggering about all over the place. <laughs> but the Lord said to me, don't whine, he said. I said, while you whine, the enemy's thinking he's being effective. I want you to shut up whining so that he'll know it's pointless attacking you. I've come and gone on that one, I have to say. <laughs> you know what? No, I won't say anymore. No, I'll be whining. <laughs> it's Graham's, Graham's got a, a prophecy out and he says, this is going to be the year when you're going to stop whining and this will be good for my ears. <laughs> I will hear you worshipping and not whining. Oh, so I'm, I'm up for, for worshipping and not whining. There's so much to be known about this great God who thought it not robbery to humble himself and to take on a human form. In Philippians 2, 6-8, we see him who thought it not robbery. You see how it's all linking in? It is not the Old Testament, New Testament. It's a continuous story. It's so brilliant. And once you get the hang of who's doing what to whom, if I may use the, the expression, you, you're gonna, I want you to 
What I'm after doing here is igniting you so that you'll enjoy the Bible. That's, that's what I'm after. Because it's, oh, blow, I've got to do my peace, you know. Can't get into the Bible, bores me. Or who do you think? So what, if we go for this real compound, I am who I am, the most powerful of all the powerful ones. This surely indicates a special relationship between God and man because that is how he reveals himself to Adam. And then in Genesis 17, 1, we have Almighty God, El Shaddai, third one down here. Regrettable translation, as Mr. Schofield says. Regrettable. Because it's literally, the translation of El Shaddai means the breasted one. Those of you who um, pop over to the New Testament a moment now. Diana of Ephesus, the one that Paul had all the trouble with the silversmith, you know, because they worship Diana of Ephesus. If you see any images of her, you'll see her with multiple boobs. Excuse me, gentlemen. Multiple. Satan can only counterfeit what God does. And I wondered why that looked like that. Well, this is why. Because literally, Almighty God describes himself as the breasted one because he's father, mother, God. Some of us, that twists us a bit. But Telsa last night was telling a lovely story about God with his pinny on, wasn't he? Thank you for your nose. Had a laughing for two hours, wasn't it? See, he, he has a mother's heart. Otherwise, we wouldn't have mother's hearts because where do we get them from? And the answer is we get them from him. And this is a description, literally the breasted one, the nurturer, the sustainer, the strength giver, the satisfier, who pours himself into believers' lives. Have some of that. The problem is it's like this, isn't it? So it runs over the sides. But as he comes to us and proves himself to be faithful, he's not angry with us that we can't hold our hearts open. When people's hearts are closed, it's usually happened a very, very long time ago. It's happened in the womb where suddenly a child, oh, I'm looking forward to the boy. I'm a girl. And at that moment, something takes place. The enemy comes in, identity problems for life. Oh, she's always been a tomboy, has she? Why? That's fine. But is there a distortion there? So in ministry, you will find often that it goes back, really right, right, right back. You see how the two things are actually running in. I can't speak about this without speaking about what happened, what the consequences of the fall are. And Satan gets right in there, you know, at the moment of conception. He's always getting around there, seeing what he can do. But yeah. But once, give, give God an inch, you'll take a yard, I'm ever so glad to say. He really will. So really, the all-sufficient one will be preferable uh, to Almighty God. So that would be a nice word for him. So El Shaddai not only enriches, but he makes fruitful. To a man 99 years old, and it's described, I think, in Hebrews, and as good as dead, he said, I am Almighty God, all you need, El Shaddai, I will multiply you exceedingly. He's talking to Abraham now. Genesis 17, 1 to 8. You're going to have children, Abraham. What? I mean, Mrs. is way past it. You don't seem to understand. 
But he understood all right, didn't he? Genesis, uh, I should have gone, uh, um, I realized last night I got these in the wrong order. I meant to do it around the right way this morning. Genesis 14, 18, we find Abraham meeting Melchizedek. He's an interesting guy. We perhaps have a look at him one of these days. And he describes the Lord as the possessor, the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. And the name for that is El Elyon. Have we got him on there? No. You see, here we go. I, when I came to do this, my notes were upstairs, and I just did it a bit quick in the kitchen. So here we have now the most high God, the possessor of heaven, heaven and earth. But it doesn't say that in our Bibles. It says the most high God. Well, he says it's the possessor of heaven and earth, but it's a title. And it's another revelation of who he is. It's very interesting. I think it involved bread and wine, didn't it, that came there? Uh, very, very interesting. Is it Jesus, do you think? Is it a Christophany, as we call them? Or theophany? And if you flip over to Deuteronomy 32.8 you'll see that this most high God, who is the possessor of heaven and earth, it's all his, he gives to whoever he chooses. He set the bounds of where the nations would be. He set what land they would have. He is the one great territorial spirit. So 32.8. It'll be in the, in the notes. I'll just sort of straightforward type out these notes. So, uh, that I've got. Acts 17.26 says the same thing. So God is the one great territorial spirit. When we start coming to look at spiritual warfare, we will not be pulling down strongholds. The only strongholds we pull down are the ones that are in here. <laughs> Mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down every Im imagination and vain thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. The church has taken this as a spiritual warfare thing. It isn't. The height of spiritual warfare is worship. Tell you a story. Some of you have heard it. There was this uh, pastor in church. Every, every time before the Sunday service, he'd come and he'd pray. And he'd rebuke this and he'd rebuke that and he'd rebuke everything out of his church and he's going for it like this. And it got worse and worse. The, the, the worship was awful. The people were asleep. It just got worse and worse. So he finally said, Lord, what's going on? So Father said to him, stand in your pulpit and do your usual bit and I'll show you. So he starts rebuking this and rebuking. And they're coming in through the windows. And he said, what's that about? He said, well, the devil will take any attention you like to give him. You rebuke him, he'll come running. Hadn't thought about it before, but now he will. He'll be in there and he'll fill your church. So forget that bit. The way to win in spiritual warfare is to ignore what he's doing. This is what the Lord's been saying to me. He said, just ignore it. It hurts. No, ignore it, Beryl, because I'm trying to teach you something. He will get fed up and go away. Good. I won't say what I'm thinking. It would be unprintable. But we do get. This is the year of the vengeance of God. When Jesus came and he stood up and he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, he stopped at the year of favor. And there has been a 2,000 year gap before the finish of that sentence. So I saw 61, is it? 
We are in, I believe, the release of the vengeance of our God, which means that we will be up against things that we haven't been up against before. But nil desperandum, because God will always uh, equip us for that thing. And the fight has got to come sooner or later. Graham Cook has said he's, he's waiting. He wants to be sort of part of the team to go head-to-head -head with the psychics on, on national television. That is his dream. Go head-to-head -head with the psychics. God is not releasing us yet into this. We are training and we need to understand, don't get out into the battlefield until God places you there. You stay in, in your refuge until he says, out you go onto the battlefield. Stick your head over the parapet before you're supposed to and you get your haircut at the beginning at the neck, um, which is actually what we want to do to the enemy. We don't want him to do it to us. And everything that the enemy is coming against you, you have to find out who's doing what to whom. It's really serious that you need to know who's doing what to whom. When you come into a situation, is this you? Is this the devil? Are you nailing something in my life? Am I training for reigning? Who's doing what to whom? Is this the cross? Because if we don't know, we'll go out in spiritual warfare when actually God's saying, I want you to die to this thing. You know, DQ, die quietly. I'm trying. Anyway, I've got off. I've, I do easily get off. Just stop and give you a bit of a break. So the the last one here is Lord. Capital L. Hebrew Adonai. Very very familiar with that. Primary meaning husband or master. And in Old Testament use, it is applied to both God and man because Sarah called Abraham her master. So it was just a term of respect. She didn't mean that she was, you know. I'm sure she had a few things to say, as she did with Hagar, didn't she? <laughs> she wasn't backward in coming forward, I don't think, Sarah. And as a man, it's used of two relationships, master and husband, Genesis 24, 9. In Exodus 4:10, Moses feels his weakness and incompetence. And this is an interesting sentence. We might just have a look at it. Exodus 4:10. I've written duck <laughs> over, my, over my Bible here. I'm slow of speech, it's headed up. Then Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, small l, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, you can see it now, look, Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord Adonai, I am not eloquent. Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the sick? Have I not the Lord, the Yahweh, self-existent one? So you can see the uses there of the two things. And he stuck his head over the power a bit and got, got slapped round the ear over his trouble. Who made man's mouth? So he feels his weakness and he addresses Jehovah, O oh my Lord, capital L, going over it again, Adonai, I am not eloquent. But since service is in question, Moses appropriately addresses Jehovah as Lord. But as power is in question, it is not Adonai, but Jehovah who responds. 
the self-existent one and he says who made man's mouth I suspect shut up Mo thank you father so there are many many compounds of Yahweh Jehovah my foot's gone to sleep (laughs) there's a lot more than this I think but these are progressive revelations of God's here. He provided the lamb. He healed them in the wilderness. He re- rescued them and he was their banner. He, the banner is the thing that goes before you into battle. He sanctifies them or sets them apart. He's their peace. He's their righteousness. Anything line up with what the Lord is? Shepherd. And this final one is Jehovah Shammah. He's there. Uh, and there is, there is a prophecy um, still hanging over us that people are going to say, he's there. We're going to see the Lord. They're going to see him. So that's just a few of the heading. You, you know, we, we sing it, don't we? Jehovah Jireh, God will provide, you know, and all this. And we use that in the way of provision for us, but it's actually the provision of the Lamb. That's Abraham. So there, there, you can, you can, but they'll all be up on the what's it, I'm sure. Um, so we can say, can't we, God, when he says in the New Testament, never will I leave thee, never will I forsake thee, Bob Mumford says, <laughs> it used to be that he felt that that was a reassurance, now he feels it more like a threat. <laughs> But my own favourite is Jehovah Sabaoth, which is Lord of Hosts or Warrior King. I like that one. Lord of Hosts. You see this in Romans 9, 29. The first time, I think, in 1 Samuel 1, 3. Psalm 24, 10. The Lord is a mighty warrior. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I'll tell you, he's roaring over his people for good at the moment. He is roaring. So the revelation of God by his names is always in connection with some particular need of his people. As you read through and you see where he revealed himself as these various things, it was at a point of Israel's need. They needed water, so he healed it. There is no need of his people which he cannot and will not fill. He is indeed all we need. So I'd like to give you a 15 minute break now. Am I turning myself off? I'm slightly shorter. I didn't intend to go on as long as I did before, but as I said, it was because of the introductions, I think, that it ran over. I wanted to give you half an hour in between. I know that it's like you're wriggling about on those uncomfortable chairs and you actually want to get up and do things. I think this is probably the bit that's been causing my, the, the spiritual warfare. Uh, that I've been receiving. It can be physical, you know. It can clobber you. Um, It's Satan's fall and the consequences. We won't go into it now, but there are actually three falls of Satan. The final one is into the lake of fire. Um, But what we're going to look at right now uh, is pre-creation, you see. I wanted to go back before creation. Though we've looked at the names of God, we've looked at who he is, we've got just an outline. Um, 
but now we're going to have a look at this. So would you open your Bibles, please, to Luke 2, 8 to 14. I have had such a, a wonderful time doing this. I just love it. Luke 2, 8 to 14. Now, we've just been through this with the Christmas thing, haven't we? So the, the verse, really, that I'm going to pick up is actually verse 14. I'll go for 13. And suddenly there was with the angel multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, and this is a doxology. For those of you with a Strong's concordance, the number is 1391. Someone came up to me and asked about a, a Strong's or... Uh, What's the other one? I can't think of it. There's a Vines, Vines um, New Testament word and there's, there's a Strong's or Young's. Young's. That's right. Young's or Strong's. Either one of those, very good. Um, I've got both um, and they're very good. But this is actually a Strong's number, 1391. Um, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. We've got two things here. We've got God in the highest and earth. So we've got heaven and earth. Now go with me, if you would, to Ezekiel 28, 12 to 19. Some of you will be very familiar with all of this. Sorry if you've been there before. I probably won't tell you anything you didn't know. 12 to 19. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28, 12 to 19. And this whole chapter appears to be about the fall of the Prince of Tyre. Up to verse 11, Ezekiel has been prophesying against a person called the Prince of Tyre. Uh, but suddenly, in verse 12, it goes up, it goes to, Son of Man, take up a lamentation for the King of Tyre. You have to watch for these little changes, like a little bit of nifty footwork, where it goes from Prince to King. So we've suddenly got someone different. Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. This is God speaking. In fact, it's uh, Adonai, Elohim. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, first of all. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Cherub is not one of these little fat babies with a ribbon across its bits and pieces. That is how Satan would like you to see him. Or else with a fault, what you call it. Me. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. 
You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. That, I believe, is the second fall. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst and it devoured you. Third one, I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples were astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. So there are actually three falls of Satan, but what we're looking at right now is the first one, where he was chucked out from walking uh, with the Lord in the heavenlies. So as I said, he's been prophesying up to now about the prince of Tyre, and now he changes and he's prophesying to the power behind the throne. And from this passage we see Satan's origin. He was in Eden, the garden of God. Please note that he was not in the garden of Eden. He was in Eden, the garden of God. The Eden here spoke of is the one in the third heaven around the throne room of God. I think if you search the scriptures you'll find there are actually three Edens as well. One around the throne room, one at creation and one in Revelation 22 where the whole thing culminates back where it started. God's plan will not be thwarted. <coughs> so the one we're looking at now where he's been chucked out is the third heaven. So you, if you like, it's the earth's atmosphere where um, Satan operates and then you get the, where the um, stars are. There's the second heaven and that's where the principalities and powers are. And then the third heaven we can't see because it's beyond where we see. Is that right, would you say? I'm looking to Richard. He's not giving me a nod, no. I haven't gone deeply into this bit. But yeah. So there we got the three. And he operates and he also has a throne actually on the earth which is mobile, he rolls it around. That's why he's not omnipresent. He goes from place to place and his little demons are everywhere. Uh, and so not that we're not looking for them, but we need to be aware. Um, so those are the three places. And number two is where Satan and his demons have their place now. So this action is taking place in the third heaven, in the garden of God. And Satan was the highest of the created angelic beings. We have to be careful how we talk about him. There's someone here who, who, when they were early on in their Christian walk, didn't realise that you couldn't be a bit rude about him and got clobbered for a, a trouble, didn't you? <laughs> uh, just got a bit rude, you know. God has a created order, an order of authority, and it comes down into the church, an order of authority that he places people in. It's not, I say jump, you say how high. But there is an order in everything that God does. And here we have the, the most beautiful of all the created beings. But it was almost as though he looked at himself and took ownership of what the gifts were that God had given him. Because he was the, the cherub that created and worship around the throne. So that's why you get such a distortion with worship and how the demonic can work so through worship or through not worship the, you know the rock stuff heavy music that's how he works through it because that's where he started off
But it's almost as though he looked at himself and said, my word, I've got this gift. You know, this is who I am. And it's such a dire warning for us that if we look at the gifts that God has given us and start taking ownership of it as though intrinsically we can do this thing, we fall into the same trap as he did. I felt while I was looking at this, this is what God was revealing to me was this, you know, that he stepped away because he suddenly thought, well, I can, I can do this thing. Um, it would be worth looking at, uh, I think it's Isaiah 14, isn't it? 14, 12 and following, where having done this, because the Bible, you will have realised by now, is not in chronological order. Job was the first book. Um, and here we have the five I wills of Satan. So he's now, he's lost, he's in megalomania mode, mode now, and he's lost it really. Uh, Isaiah 14, verse 12 and following. And again, God says to him, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, day star. His name changed to Satan, the adversary, the accuser, Apollyon, destroyer. There are all sorts of names for him. We're not going to give him the glory this morning, but there are all sorts of names. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. That's in the third heaven. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. And those who see you will gaze at you and consider saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms? Who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? and who did not open the house of his prisoners. Vengeance is coming. God will fulfill his plan, and vengeance is coming. So he was perfect in beauty, and highest of the created beings. All the stones mentioned, interestingly, are the same as those which, uh, if we ever have a look at it, are in the breastplate of the high priest. Those are the ones that were on the high priest's garments. So Satan had all the garments of the high priest. If you like, he was high priest to God. He was God's right-hand man. Um, he arranged everything under God's rulership, much like Joseph in, in Pharaoh's house. He came to a place of being trusted, and he had rulership over the angels until he fell. So he was perfect in beauty, but his enormous riches and beauty caused pride to rise in his heart, as we've said there. So he loses his position. And when pride comes into his heart, he starts to think of usurping even God. And we looked at the I wills. And as a result, he loses his position, but he still has access to the throne. At the moment, he can commute backwards and forwards. Job 1.6 tells us, Job the first book in the Bible tells us that Satan came to have a look. You can have a look at it if you like. On the day when the sons of God, um, this is, as I say, is the first book in the Bible. Job had remarkable insight and understanding. Um, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. 
Who's doing the initiating here? And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? He said, oh, going backwards and forwards over the earth and having a look at my territory. That's what he's saying. Because Adam had handed it over by this time. And the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? So he was allowed to test Job. To te to, yes, to test Job. But we see it also that he was allowed to test Peter. You remember that in Luke 22:31 and 32, Jesus said, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail. Continued on disc two.